Hallelujah. All right. Thank you, worship team, for helping us come to this place where we can just have tender hearts to receive the Word of God. Welcome again, everybody here at King of Kings Community Jerusalem. If this is your first time joining us, make sure you see one of our ushers, and you can learn a little bit about how to get one of our, our visitor packet of information and join us for one of our First Steps class a little bit later on. Welcome, everybody watching online, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, and other platforms around the world. Welcome to Jerusalem. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. We're going to start a brand new series tonight. Brand new series from the book of Isaiah. We're going to call this series Highlights from Isaiah. In this particular sermon, I've entitled Facing the Facts. Now, there are Anytime you want, go back into the archives. You can see all of the sermons and the lessons uh, and the slides that go along with them. So you can always catch up a little bit if you missed the last series that we did on the, the tabernacle and the temple. But highlights from Isaiah. We're going to start in chapter 1. And then through the next 8 or 10 weeks, myself and some of the other pastoral team will walk us through highlights. Now, we're not going to cover all of the book of Isaiah exegetically. We can't do that in the allotted time that we've given but we are going to cover some major highlights. And, and tonight, we're just going to start with this opening vision that Isaiah has. Now, let's keep in mind that the backdrop of today is a growing darkness in the world, right? We had a very sad, unfortunate tragedy in Nevit Yaakov this week. The synagogue that was attacked, the shootout there, and all of the dear people that were lost. And the tragedy goes beyond just the one event, right? Because the tragedy is really a retaliation for retaliation for retaliation for retaliation for thousands of years. And the world, the unbelieving world, doesn't know how to get themselves out of that scheme and that cycle. They're just going to keep doing it. And that's what Satan wants. You remember the Bible talked about the, that Satan sets up schemes because he doesn't have the omnipresence that God has. So he cannot be everywhere at once. Nor can his hordes of demonic angels, we call demons now. They, they don't have the volume number to be everywhere all at once. So they can't minister or attack or trick or deceive every single person all the time. So what they do to be efficient is they get people trapped in a cycle that spins over and over and over. And once those people are in a cycle of, whether it be addictions or habits or strongholds or thought processes that are hurtful, whatever the scheme is, it cycles over and over. And then the demonic forces can leave that situation and just let it kill itself while they go off and to deceive someone else. That's the backdrop of where we live now. We have the Russian-Ukrainian conflict going on. He's just letting that... All those lies and schemes and anger and hatred and history, just once he got it going, let it run. We had a tragedy in Memphis, Tennessee this past week, another one, and riots happening today all over the place. And it's just going to keep happening. So this is the backdrop of a world that is increasingly dark and increasingly lost. And yet the world is trying to find more and more answers Every day, they're inventing another way to look for an answer. And this is really tying into what Isaiah is dealing with. Let's just open with verse 1 as we kick this series off. 
Isaiah 1, verse 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So clearly, Isaiah the prophet lived and prophesied through four different kings of Judah. Okay? Notice also, please, that when we start to study a book of the Bible, it's always important for us to understand the context. Now, you can't understand the context unless you understand who the author is, who the audience is, and what the intent of the author is. Then you can understand what he's actually talking about. Well, in this case, it's Isaiah the prophet who has a long history of faithfulness with Israel. The target audience is the Jewish people in Judah and Jerusalem. So let's say in general, it's the nation of Israel, okay, in general. And the content or the, the intent of the author is going to play out in the vision, which we're going to understand. We, ought, we should also understand that in most prophetic instances, we think of duality. That means it had a meaning for the people at the time, and it has meaning and application for us today based on principles that are expressed in the prophetic word, right? So it's always a dual. It's like for the people of the time, but also for us. And so we're going to grab some of those tonight. This is that second layer. Well, who is Isaiah exactly? Well, his name means God is salvation. His call to prophecy started around 742 BC before the Lord. And it coincided with the beginnings of the westward expansion of the Assyrian Empire. So it gives you an idea of when. And Assyria was threatening Israel when Isaiah proclaimed to be the, one of the prophets of Israel and when he started to proclaim the message of God through this prophecy. So you have to understand, Isaiah is not prophesying in a peaceful time. He's prophesying in quite a desperate time. Okay, that's important to note as well in the backdrop because as you hear his language, you have to remember there's a desperation in Israel according to the timing of what's happening. Now let's get to the intent. That's the author, that's the audience, Judah and Jerusalem. What's the intent? Well, what I'm gonna lay out for you tonight, just briefly, is that God is going to address the Jewish people like, it, like he's in a courtroom. He does it very methodically. He does it with witnesses. He does it with facts. God is not asking us to follow him blindly. I'll say that a couple of different times tonight. God has never asked us to follow him blindly. And in this case, he's not going to judge blindly either. He's going to come to a courtroom and he's going to present some facts. So let's pick it up in verse 2. He's going to address a certain crowd that has been observing what Israel has been doing. So in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, it says, Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth. For the Lord has spoken, and I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey its owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given over to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, and they have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Hopefully you got the same picture I got that there is a courtroom and Israel is being accused of doing something. And God comes in 
not only as the lawyer, but kind of as the judge also. And he says, it wouldn't be right for me to accuse you if I didn't present my case before witnesses. But he cannot use Israel as the witnesses because they are the accused. So he has to appeal to something else that has witnessed what Israel has been doing. And so you pick it up in those verses and he says, I appeal to the witnesses of heaven and earth and the celestial beings. I appeal to the animals on earth who've been watching what you've been doing. I appeal to the earth itself and how it responds physically to sin. And all of this is used as a witness against Israel and what Israel has been doing. He uses that format. He wants to be a just judge, a fair judge. But you can't be a fair judge if there aren't witnesses, right? We get that from the scriptures themselves, Deuteronomy 19.15. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You see, this is a universal principle that God himself is applying to his own situation. Now, God lives outside of human nature, human time, human law. He can live outside of that. He certainly does quite often. But in cases of principle, God lives within his own principles because he didn't make the laws outside of his own principles. He made the laws of God from his own principles. And what he's saying here is, I am, I am following my own principle. I'm not going to accuse you if there aren't witnesses, so let me call the witnesses. And he calls the heaven and earth and says, heaven and earth, you've been watching what Israel has been doing, Judah and Jerusalem, what you've been doing. And that's what's being called for here. And I appreciate that about God. I appreciate that fairness. I appreciate that there's a methodical walk. We often say that God doesn't do random. God is very aware of what he's doing and he's always aware of what he's doing because he sees the end from the beginning. And so when you see the end from the beginning, you understand every step that has to take place to get you from point A to point B. That doesn't mean he doesn't love us extravagantly and it doesn't mean that he doesn't surprise us from time to time with blessing. Yes, he does. But even those things aren't random. He's planned them. He's planned that they would impact our life. What God is addressing here in this new courtroom with witnesses is that God is addressing the fact that the results of the disobedience of the people have led to many horrible things. But he doesn't stop there. You see, it would be it would be one step to say, Israel, here's my accusation. You've done one, two, three, four, five sins. I'm calling you to repentance. But that's not what he does at first. What he does at first is he says, Israel, these are the sins that you've committed. These are the witnesses that saw you do it. And I'm going to lay out for you what happened because you did that. And by laying out what happened, I'm hoping that you can see that this is a foolish decision. We pick it up in verse 7. We're still in Isaiah 1, verse 7. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores. 
not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you. It's laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. So this is what's happening in the courtroom. Israel, you've disobeyed me. Here are the ways you've disobeyed me. And these are the outcomes of the disobedience. You've been beaten by your enemies. You've been injured. You're, you're sad and depressed all the time. There's no peace in your life. There's no place to rest. Your mind can never turn off. You have wounds that aren't being healed. You feel defeated. Your land is now desolate. None of the crops are producing anymore. You're not getting any rain. It's like all of your cities are burned. There's nothing in the fields and your enemies are a constant stream of invading army, armies. So therefore, Israel, I, prevent, I present my evidence to you. Right? Now he's gonna present the evidence. The evidence is everything you've chosen turns to hurt you. But then God is grieved at this point because he says, why can't you see that? How hard is it to see that these decisions are hurtful to you? They don't hurt him, right? Surely everybody in the room and watching online, you understand that your sin doesn't do anything to God, right? Now he's sad about it. It hurts his heart because he has a relationship with you, but it doesn't do anything to him. It's not like you sin and now he's nervous about something. Oh my gosh, Chad, he did it again. Rally up, guys. Come on. Council of Heaven Angels, guys, re-strategize, re-strategize. Chad, again, with the sin, what are we going to do? He's, you know, the earth is now off its tilt. It, it, gravity's not working anymore. The, the solar system, it doesn't, it doesn't revolve the way it used to. All of this because of Chad's sin. It doesn't touch God at all. But what does touch God is him watching his children hurt themselves and hurt one another. And based on that love of the father, he moves to intervene and he says, guys, come into the courtroom. I gotta, I gotta share something with you. All of these things are hurting you, but you're ignoring the consequences and you're acting as if those consequences aren't your fault. Sin, promiscuity, Pornography, homosexuality, transgenderism, materialism, self-centeredness, corruption in the government, deception online, lies of the media, controlling governments, trying uh, to take God out of schools, take God out of politics. All of the things we tried to do to make ourselves feel good and feel in control have led to more divorces than ever before, more depression, more suicide, more drug use, more addictions, more abuse more insecurity, more abortions, more war. Everything we've tried has led to everything bad. And this is the case that's being presented in heaven. And he says to the people, so why do you keep doing it? Here's what you did. Here's what it caused. I'm giving you a way out. Take my gift. Because you clearly don't know what you're doing. I think my daughter went to help in the children's class, right? So I have a story. Uh, 
I'm pretty sure she doesn't watch the archives, so I think we're safe. So we homeschool the children, you guys know that. And, and so dad comes in mainly for uh, math, a little bit of science, and Bible. So I teach those, and Rebecca handles all the rest. She's a superstar. But often, my daughter will get frustrated, get flustered in math. Math is the one. You know, math, anybody raise your hand? Is math? No? Like, school is school, but then there's math, right? Like, this is a different ballgame. So math is the deal. So that's why I help with math. My brain is a little mathematical. And so she'll raise her hand after a season of very flustered and frustrating times. I can see it on her face. I can see the emotion. The tears want to come. She may have hit the book once or twice. And I never blame her. She gets that from me. It's exactly how I responded in school. Dad, I need help. Why do you need help? Because I don't know how to do this. It's stupid. Why am I ever going to need this? I never need this. I never see you and mom doing this. When's the last time you used an algebra problem, Dad? I say, do you need help? Yes, I need help. Why do you need help? Because it doesn't make sense. I don't know how to do it. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I think the book is wrong. I get the book is wrong at least once a day, by the way. The book is wrong. So I go, great, listen, take out a sheet of paper. Let's, let's work on the problem. Here we go. I see the problem. You've asked for help. You don't know what to do. Here I come. And I get about one line into it. Oh, no, I got it. 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 Shh, don't tell me anymore. I got it. But you just asked me for help. No, no, I got it now. 10 seconds ago, you were pretty flustered about this. Are you sure you got it? No, I got it now. I, I got it. Okay. Dad takes a step back. Dad knows his children very well. He counts to 10. <laughs> Dad, it doesn't make sense. Okay, I'm right back here. I knew it didn't make sense. I realized you didn't really have it, but your pride didn't want to listen to the solution. This is what God is dealing with. The children who don't want to listen to the solution. But here's what you've done. It led to all of these hurtful things. So let me tell you how to solve it. No, no, we want to keep trying it. But, but you don't know how to do it. You have no idea what you're doing. You're just inventing more wrong problems. I would say that to my kids. But you're inventing more problems in the formula. You didn't even understand the question. You ever seen that in math? Little word problems? Come on, parents. Word problems? Susie's walking five miles an hour. Billy's walking six miles an hour. They're 20 miles apart. How long until the two shake hands? Right? My daughter's just like, well, she could just text him when he's going to be there. It's... <laughs> this is what's happening. They refuse to believe the facts. They refuse to believe the solution. They refuse to take ownership in their own decisions and they're blame shifting everything to someone else. It's someone else's fault. As a matter of fact, God, it's probably yours. It's probably your fault. Dad, it's your fault. It's your fault, Dad, that I have to do this math. But I, I want you to grow up to be a 
well-rounded, educated, sharp, successful woman in life. It's your fault I'm having to do math. Yeah, but as your dad, I want you to be healthy. Blame shifting. And one of the things that tends to happen for humanity is we want instant gratification for the pains in our life. Instead, instead of going to the Lord with these issues and listening to what he says, that might take a little time. Come on. Those of us in the house that are being discipled by the Lord, it might take a little time. We don't want that. It has to solve it instantly. And that's not how the kingdom works. Now, sometimes in a miraculous moment, it works that way. But when we talk about discipleship, it doesn't generally happen overnight. Discipleship is a choice we make to submit to the Lord every morning and let him have our heart one more day. Mold me, shape me. But we've lost sight in our current culture of the value of investing into the future. We, we lost it somewhere. Let me give you the key phrase of tonight. God's kingdom focuses on investing in the future instead of instant gratification. Luke chapter 233, listen to the instruction. It says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out and treasures in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth may destroy. The idea is don't just think about what feels good right now, invest in the future. The nations of the world at this point are not investing in the future. We as disciples of the Lord need to grab a hold of this principle because this is how the kingdom works. In character development, in relationship development, in ministry development, in marriages, friendships, parenting, all of it takes time. And so we invest into the future. The Bible is a very earthy, real, tangible story of God's journey with us. Now, the world around us, especially through media today, wants to put appearances of happiness in front of you. Appearances of happiness. But here's the, the truth, right? The facts. We're facing the facts tonight. If what they're saying to do in the world really worked, it would have worked. It doesn't, the proof is here in the courtroom. It doesn't work. The fruit is here. We've seen it, it's rotten. So instead of taking ownership and repenting and doing it God's way, what does the world do? Well, we're gonna, we don't want God to be God because actually ultimate motive is for ourselves to be God. That's the ultimate motive. So I can't give God credit that he's right. So I'm gonna invent another thing. The next invention, the next technology, the next delivery system of sinful choices. And all along, I'm going to splash all over world media and social media, happiness. The homosexual community is the happiest community in the world. Happiest. Those that are addicted to alcohol, oh, you've never seen a better party than that. That's the best party. Promiscuity, adultery outside of marriages. Oh, you've never experienced it until you try it. Right? That's what you see. Happy. Fake happy. Except the stats are in. The stats don't lie. 
these pictures, these highlights, these sensationalism in the media, they, this pretend face, then why so much depression? Why so much suicide? Why, why so much drug use? Why so much detransitioning? Because you realized somebody lied to you. These online likes and thumbs up and check boxes and follows and all of that stuff. Friends, can we, can we just get down to the bottom of this tonight? Don't worry about who's following you. Worry about who you're following. Just follow Yeshua and invite others to follow him. People are feeling bullied online. I don't know that we should care about who tells us what online. Let's worry about the counsel of our closest friends. We're the ones that matter right here. But God is a God of facts. He's a God of truth. He's a God of realities. God gives us families, community groups, congregations, and networks so that we can work together to see the truth and to see the fruit. Stay in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. I'm going to read 11 through 17. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of the fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me, new moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. Can you imagine God saying that to you? That thing you just did, I hate that with all of my being. They have become a burden to me. I'm wearing, I am weary because of them and bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my, my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God is in the courtroom giving us all of the facts. And he's even saying, and, and stop pretending. That was that whole section, by the way. That's my summary of that section. Stop pretending with the fake smile. I don't need that bull and goat anymore. You know, I didn't need the bull and goat when I created the universe, by the way. I asked the bull and the goat and the sacrifice and the lamb and the blood so that you could see the symbolism of how I deal with sin and I would die for you. Stop fakely celebrating my festivals and desecrating them. God is not saying stop celebrating them. He says stop fake celebrating them. He's not saying stop praying. He's saying stop fake praying. Right? You see, you see the difference, right? The world is presenting a fake face. It's not real. And he says stop. The numbers are in. And I don't lie. Numbers 23 God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God doesn't lie. He can't even lie. I've taught my children that. God can't even lie. He's a God of truth. He gives us a spirit of truth, and we're called to be the people of truth. Satan, however, 
father of lies. Native tongue, John 8, 44. Yeshua speaking to the unbelieving religious community who was fake. Remember that whole story? Fake religion? Tying heavy burdens on the people that you're not helping them with? Long tassels on your garments, loud prayers in the, the streets. Fake, fake, fake. He's not saying don't pray. He's saying stop faking it. But Satan, Satan wants you to keep pretending. You belong to your father, the devil, Yeshua said. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer in the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And there's a key for us as believers. We are on a constant journey for truth. The real truth, not the relative truth. Not the truth that today's society wants to pretend that you can change. You know, what is your truth? Well, no, there's only one. It's not mine or yours, it's his. One truth. And my point is this, that what we're going through in today's society, we've gone through this before. Isaiah was going through it. Seek the truth. Embrace the facts. The story is in. What you've chosen was wrong. The fruit is corrupted. So let's talk about this, God would say. And God is willing to put the facts on the table and look at the obvious logical results. I love that God is logical. I really do. He can just do an A plus B equals C and get back to the math, right? Let's pick it up in verse 18. He says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins were like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, and you will, then you will eat the good things from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, God is not asking us to blindly trust him. He's saying, look at the facts. I'm presenting it to you in the courtroom. I have all the witnesses you have the fruit, just listen to me. And if you will listen to me, hear my heart. I'll restore you. I'll fix all of this. I'll wash you clean. It'll be like you, you, you were never impacted by sin. I'll take care of all of it. I'll even fix your land for you. Now, you don't deserve any of that, but I'm still gonna give it to you if you'll come to me in repentance and obey what I say. I'll fix it. And so now Isaiah is turning to a salvation message. He's, he's taken this, the choices and the outcomes and the sin and the pain and the arrogance, and he says, but, but there's a salvation for you. Look how you can do this. God has never asked us to blindly trust him. Look down at verse 21 for a second. He's gonna appeal to the facts and evidence over and over. See how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice and righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. What he's basically saying is this statement right here. Is this what you want. And now this turns personal to us. 
Because if we can just take a few minutes and turn that statement to us, that duality of prophecy to us for a moment, we can look at our life and say, is this what I want? Is this the marriage I want? Is this the friendship circle I want? Do we, do we relate together the way I want? Am I feeling fruitful in my life? Am I feeling effective in my life? Am I feeling healthy in my life? Is this what I want? Because it's, if it's not what you want and your, your desires are not lining up with the word of God and you're depressed and suicidal and addicted and all these things where you're searching for happiness, if, if you're feeling that, then God says, I have an answer. Be introspective about your life. Is this what you want? And he would say that about Israel. We could say it today about Israel. Israel, today, 2023, is this what you want, Israel? Constant fighting. Always something on the border. An economy that's quite fragile. Levels of looking down on different people groups all the time. Lack of unity in the country. I mean, we voted for a prime minister and what, what do we win with? 24%, 26%? How can you have less unity than that? When three quarters of the country doesn't want you to be the leader. Israel, is this what we want? We would say this to the, to the religious community in Judaism today. Is this what you want? All the stuff you're doing, is that what you want? Now listen, we want to embrace the good. We want to embrace the Jewish roots of faith and, and all the richness of our heritage and all the symbolic meaning that has held our people together over thousands of years. We want to embrace the good, but on the whole, Judaism, is this what you want? Are you seeing the Messiah? Are you, are you, are you filled with the Spirit of God? Are you moving in miracles? Is Judaism working? Is this what you want? it doesn't work without Messiah. It doesn't work without the Holy Spirit. And it was never meant to work without the New Testament. Because the New Testament is highlighting everything we were supposed to learn from the Old Testament. We just didn't get it. So we learned it in a new, a new way, from a new angle. And we would say that of us as people today. Let's close with that. Is this what we want? Is our life panning out with what's in our heart? Or are we denying the truth? Are we suppressing the truth? Are we doing the same thing that Isaiah is accusing his generation of, where you can see the, the sin and you can see the results of sin, but you refuse to embrace the truth about what, why you did it, who did it, who's to blame for it? And what changes you need to make? You refuse the truth. Romans 1.18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without an excuse. And finally, even in this courtroom, even in the accusations with witnesses, even in the evidence against them and the fruit, God says, I've never asked you to follow me blindly. John 14 is our last verse tonight, 1411. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, 
or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. We want to grow up today. We want to be disciples of the Lord Yeshua. The only way to really do that is to invest in the future and stop investing in the self-instant gratification generation. It's not what the kingdom's about. And when the Holy Spirit does touch us, when he, when he calls the witnesses against us, that's the moment we say thank you and we embrace what he's saying so that we embrace truth. We don't suppress truth like the world is currently very famous for doing. That's how we grow up as a disciple. That's how we become a light to the nations around us. Remember, we don't want to become so relevant to the world that we are irrelevant to the kingdom of God. That's a dangerous place to be. Would you stand and let me pray over you as we go back into worship? Let's really let the Holy Spirit sink this in. We need this foundation for the rest of the book. I realize that may not have been the happiest word you ever heard. So Pastor Chad, we like it when you're a little bit happier than tonight. Well, when you're trying to change a generation, you got to speak the truth, right? Father, those of us in the house and online tonight, we just, we lift our hands to you. We open our hearts to you and we say to you, have your way in us. We want to believe the evidence. We want to see the truth. We want to open up to where your finger wants to point. It's hard to teach the world around about your miracles if we ourselves are not living them. It's hard to teach the world about godly transformation if we're not in the process of transformation ourselves. And so, Father, what we're asking tonight is a supernatural level of faith, a supernatural level of submission to your word, a supernatural level of sensitivity to your spirit. Would you help us to grow one step further today? Being people that embrace the truth. If it's not working, give us the courage to close the book on that action or that thought process and open ourselves up to what you might say about each situation. Holy Spirit, have your way in the room tonight. Show us what's not working that we can look at it and we can yield that to you for answers. It takes courage to do this. It takes your Holy Spirit power to do this. Help us tonight in Yeshua's name. Let's take a moment to meditate in the Lord before we move further.